0: You're listening to the Doxology and Theology podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. If you don't know my story, basically I come from a Muslim background, and I was uh, born in Houston when I was two years old. My family moved back to Iran when I was six. The Islamic Revolution hit We moved back and I didn't speak English when we moved back to America. I only spoke Farsi and so there was a Christian lady who became my tutor that was reading me books every day after school to teach me the English language and my family didn't know she was Christian. They were paying her and my family was pretty staunch Muslim. My dad was the president of the Islamic Medical Society, a very prominent Muslim. So uh, this lady uh, pouring into me, loving me in the second grade hands me a small New Testament and says, this is the most important book you will ever read in your life. She tells me, you're not going to understand it today, but promise me you'll hold on to it and read it when you're older. And so I threw that in my house and grew up again in a Muslim home. My senior year in high school, I became curious about the person of Christ through various things that happened. I wanted to know what Christians believe and God put that New Testament on my mind. And I went reading it and every day under the covers with a flashlight so my parents wouldn't walk in and figure out what I was doing. And finally, I got to the book of Romans and it just totally changed my life. In Romans chapter 3, I started reading about a righteousness that comes apart from the law, apart from what I do for God. But it's it's a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and is given to us as a gift to be received by faith. And man, when I started to understand that, uh, God grabbed a hold of my heart and I became a Christian years later after hiding it from my dad for about a year and a half actually. He found out and made me choose between him and Jesus. And again, I want you to know everything in me wanted to say, forget it. I'll, I'll stay a Muslim. I didn't want to lose my dad. I, that, that was my flesh. I just want you to know so you don't think I'm boasting when I say this. But I was blown away when I looked at my dad and I said, dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And so my father disowns me on the spot. I go upstairs to my room and say, God, how could you do this to me? And again, it was the word of God. The Lord led me in the word of Matthew 10 where Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father, but whoever disowns me, I'll disown him. Jesus goes on to say, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, for I've come to turn a man against his Father. And I'm reading this going, whoa, this just happened for me. You know, uh, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, goes on to say. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I say to you, the word of God implanted in my heart, drew me to faith in Christ when I read Romans, man, and, and then clarified what God's call really is on all our lives, which is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, even if it means to walk away from my father. And so for me, I want you to know the word of God has continually shaped my life. And so my aim, uh, what I've been tasked with is, is for us to see the crucial importance uh, of the Word of God, the centrality, the primacy, let me say that, of the Word of God in your, in your own personal life, in your ministry, in our church, and even in our gatherings. I and mean, then not only that, I want you to see uh, the primacy of the preaching of God's Word in our life, in our ministry, in our church gatherings. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3 is an incredible uh, passage here, and I think you know where I'm going in 2 Timothy 4. But as you know, 2 Timothy was written uh, in the mid to late uh, 60s AD when Paul was in prison in Rome. It's the twilight of his life. Uh, In fact, he writes, my departure is at hand in 2 Timothy 4, and he's writing this letter to his beloved disciple, who he calls him, my child. And so you think this is one of the most personal yet powerful letters, if you will. It is his last words on his deathbed to his child. That's what you have before you in 2 Timothy. Think about it. If you're about to die and you have your child, all right, Paul's single, so this is the, the, the closest we can get, right? I mean, you would you'd want to make sure you put the most important things before him, right? And this is what... He's going to do. He's going to get to the very heart of what is the most important thing. Look at verse 14 of uh, 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and uh, have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have, been, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's stop there real quickly. Before we get to preaching, I want you to first see just kind of the the, the primacy of God's word in the last part of chapter 3. You know, before we, um, before we even dive into the written word, first of all, uh, God's, God's word, if you study the scriptures, is how God acts and moves powerfully in creation. So, obviously, at the very beginning, when he created all of creation, it was by his word. Genesis 1, right? Uh, let there be light. All right? When God created the heavens and the earth, it started with God's word. Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right? So God created ex nihilo, he created out of nothing, he created by his powerful word. And then when mankind was created, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man uh, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. I want you to think about that. Mankind became a living creature by the breath of God, and the breath of God and the word of God are linked together. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, mouth all their hosts and so God's powerful word creates all all that we see around us creates mankind and then of course we know the fall in Genesis 3 if you just keep going down the Bible the fall happened because the serpent the enemy of God came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to doubt God's word did God really say you will die if you eat from that tree and so that's where we, we have sin come in and, and, and then God, the first pro- gospel proclamation is from God's word, Genesis 3.15, when he says that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. And that's the pointing of the cross. Then, fast forward, Genesis 12, God begins a new nation in, in a, with Abraham, and he, his word speaks, and he tells Abraham, go, and I'm make you a great nation, as many as the stars are, so will your descendants be, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God reveals himself throughout the Old Testament through his prophets, and then finally, obviously, you know where this is going, Jesus is the ultimate. The Word made flesh. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word of God, by whom and through whom all all creation was made, and he is the one who has come to ultimately reveal fully to us, uh, to reveal to the ultimate t- to us who God is. So that's his power, is always seen through his word. But what we're seeing here at the end of chapter three is the power that is in his written word. The power of God's written word. In uh, verse 16, obviously, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I love verse 15. How from the sacred uh, writings, he writes, and from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What I love about that is that tells me the sacred writings there is referring to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is making you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So again, the Old Testament pointing forward to Christ. This is what Jesus says himself in Luke 24. He says, all the prophets and the law, all of it is pointing to me. It's all pointed to me. And so it's by his written word that we see Christ. Christ, first of all, is revealed to us. Jesus himself in John 5, he says to the Jews of his day, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but you fail to realize that the scriptures testify of me. But yet you do not come to me that you may have life in me. So first of all, why is God's word, why should it be, have primacy in our services and in your life? Because it's how we know Christ. It's how God is revealed to us, how Jesus is revealed to us. And because we can know him through his scripture, therefore, secondly, God's written word is powerful to give us life. Right? Because knowing Christ is how we have life. John 17. It, this is eternal life, that they know you and they know the son whom you have sent, Jesus says. And so we can have life. And if, you are, if you're a Christian today, you need to know First Peter chapter 1 says that you have been born of a, uh, of a spiritual seed. Uh, from n- Not a perishable seed, excuse me, but an imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. So if you're a Christian in the house today, you need to know the way you became a Christian. This, you, you have a physical seed that led to your physical birth. There's a spiritual seed that led to your spiritual birth, and that spiritual seed is the word of God. It was either declared to you, somebody preached it to you, somebody uh, shared it with you, your parents modeled it for you, uh, but whatever, however you came, whenever it was that you came to faith, it it happened because God's word was implanted into your heart and drew you to faith, all right? So it's what leads to new life. James chapter 1 says of his own will he brought us forth by the word of his truth. Brings you to life. Right? It reveals Jesus, it brings you to spiritual life. It, it produces faith. Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. All right? So I don't initiate faith. You think about Hebrews 11. Uh, all throughout Hebrews 11. Verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God, moved in godly fear and uh, and, and created the ark. So he didn't just decide to step out and build an ark, right? It it began with God's word. Going on in Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So I don't just decide to be a Christian. No, no, no. I don't initiate faith. Faith is initiated by God's word. God's word speaks into my heart and I believe and then I move and trust in Christ by the faith that he grants me and I become a follower of Christ. In the same way, that's how I follow him every day. It's he speaks and then I step out and follow. All right? So this is all I would say, uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, how you can come to faith in Jesus and, come and find salvation, find life. But then verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, I believe, shows us that not only does God's word reveal Jesus, bring us to spiritual life, produce faith in us, but God's word is what sustains life. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. And then he goes on to say at the end that the man of God may be, here it is, complete equipped for every good work. That's the Psalm 1 that Sandra read before we start at the very beginning of our service. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers that bears fruit in its season. God's word is what, when everything else is is in drought and there's that tree that is vital, uh, that has vitality and is bearing fruit, it's because of the word of God. So the word of God is what, allows me to grow in my faith. First Peter goes on after chapter 1 saying that you're born again through a spiritual seed, which is the imperishable seed, the word of God. Chapter 2, it says, therefore, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. This same seed that brought me to faith in Christ is what I now must feed on. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how I grow in my faith. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, Paul says, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. This word is vital to our ongoing Christian faith. It is at work in you believers, he says. How? It's profitable, Paul says to Timothy, for teaching, for reproof, you can put both of those in the doctrine camp, for correction, for training in righteousness, you can put both of those uh, in, in the uh, ethical living it out, conduct, let me say it that way, doctrine and conduct, both, all right, our, 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 we need the word of God to know right doctrine and to know right conduct, that's what he's saying here. Right, it's it's profitable for teaching and reproof. That's instruction. So, in the positive sense, for teaching, it's how we know God's will. I speak to young uh, students. I speak to college students a lot. Uh, Before I became a pastor, definitely I I did. I led a uh, Bible study at Baylor with college students every Monday night. And they always want to know what God's will is, and they always bring it down to basically who am I going to marry, and where am I going to live, and what's my job going to be, as if that's the end-all be-all of God's will, right? And this is what I say to them. I say, look, get in the word of God and see the places where he's very clear what his will is. There are places, in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is that you be thankful in all things, right? Right? All right, God's will is that you would be spirit-filled, that you would know him. There's so many places in scripture that literally it says this is God's will. All right? As Deuteronomy 29 tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. So it's God's word that tells me what his will is for me. It's God's word that reproves me. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 15, that all the things that happened to the Old Testament saints are recorded for us as an example, as a warning. All right? And so... The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Friends, the word of God is profitable to instruct us, to reveal the inside, inner workings of our heart, our motives, and our thoughts, all right? And it guides us. He says, it's profitable for every good work. The word of God is what guides me through my life. Um, In Isaiah chapter 30, one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 30, it says, woe to my people. Listen to me, if you're young, you gotta hear this. Woe to my people, Well, wherever you are, you need to hear this. But especially if you're like, where's my ministry headed? Listen, woe to my people who make plans for their life without consulting me. They go to Pharaoh and they go to Egypt to ask the advice of Pharaoh in Egypt. Therefore, the advice of Pharaoh in Egypt shall turn to their shame. But then in verse 18, it says, blessed are those who wait on the Lord. And that's not a passive thing. It's an active thing to wait on the Lord. It's like a waiter who's waiting on a table who's attentive to that table. A good waiter, right? All right? And so you are waiting on God. You're attentive to hear a word from him. He says, you shall hear a word in your ear, saying, this is the way. Turn in it as you turn right and as you turn left. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says that, man, that, that voice that I heard on the Mount of Transfiguration, when, he, when Jesus was transfigured and he heard the Father saying, this is my son, all right? in whom I am pleased, listen to him. He says, listen to me. You have something even more certain, more sure than that voice I heard. You have it through the written word of God, which you would do well to pay attention to, he says, as a lamp shining in a dark place. So I go to the Middle East all the time. One of the things I get to do with my Farsi language that I still have is I get to train Iranian pastors. And I come back and people say, man, people are coming to Christ through visions and dreams. Man, I wish we had more visions and dreams. Do they just have more faith than we do? What's wrong with us, right? Listen to me, I believe visions and dreams are prominent in places where the word of god is not and you know i've met some of these people who've come to christ through visions and dreams and i've seen their bibles and guys it is devoured literally there is notes on every page i'm like how much do you read your bible oh every day of hours they don't want more visions and dreams <laughs> they want the word of god and we're over here with the word of god i'm like give me a vision give me a dream No, 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 it's the word of God that guides your life. Man, it gives you life by revealing Jesus to you. It gives you faith every day, reminding you of the promises of God, that you would put your hopes on him, right? It sustains your life. It's what gives you, it's that river, right, that brings fruit in your life. It's what guides you. I hope I've given you enough. There's so much more I could say, about why the word of God is so crucial to your personal life, to your church, your ministry, and I believe to our gatherings. And so now what I want to do is move what Paul does. He's saying, again, this is his deathbed, if you will, his last words to his child. He says, look, the word of God, that's what's important for you. Then now look what he does. Now you might say to me, well, what about the preaching of God's word? Is that so important? to God. And I want you to see what Paul does in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Don't get swept up. That's what that means in all of this talk of myths be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And that's right after that is where he goes, my departure is at hand. Do you catch this, man? Paul is saying to Timothy, the word of God is breathed out, the scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for your life to sustain you. And then he says, therefore I charge you. And he gives him this solemn, like, Oath that he has to keep. You preach that word. It's serious for Paul. Paul is saying, Timothy, this is what I'm leaving to you. This is my charge. You preach the word of God. I want you to feel the stewardship that he gives Timothy by saying, I charge you in the presence of God who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. I mean, if you're Timothy reading this, you you should feel the weight of the stewardship that has been given to you by the word of God. He said, therefore, preach it. And I'm telling you, Paul went throughout his ministry with this incredible sense of the burden that he was carrying the burden of the weight of the word of God that he was to preach. Let me give you three really quickly instances where I get that from, okay? First of all, in Romans 15, verse 14, listen to what he says. He says, I am under obligation uh, both to Greeks, let's say 15, that's wrong, Uh, Romans 1, right? I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. So he, he's, he, he's saying, I'm indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians. There, you, you see, there's two ways to get into debt. One is that you borrow something from someone and then you've got to pay them back. The other is that you receive something from someone that you're to deliver. You see it? That's, what, that's the sense he's talking about. I have received something and I'm indebted to Greeks and barbarians to give it to them. That's what he's saying. He feels the weight of it. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 through 18. I think I got the right one here. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, Paul says, for necessity is laid upon me. In fact, he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge. That's when he's saying, hey, I don't want any compensation for my preaching. And he says, listen, here's why. It's a stewardship. I'm not doing it of my own will. Otherwise, I should get a reward for it. He's saying, I'm going to be held accountable. What did you do with the word of God? What did you do with the gospel? And he's saying, man, my reward is that I get to be able to preach it free of charge. And then in Acts 20, this is so amazing. In Acts 20, he calls the Ephesian elders. Remember this? He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He doesn't have time to go to Ephesus where he spent three years. You would think for sure if he's going to stop by his churches on his way back home to Jerusalem, he's for sure going to stop in Ephesus. But he wants to make it back in time for Pentecost, So he does the next best thing. He goes past Ephesus to a town called Miletus, and he calls for the elders. Hello, listen, this is how important it is. Leaders in a church, elders. Essentially, he's saying, if I can hit the elders, I'm going to hit the church. Because as the elders go, so the church goes. And so he looks at the elders, and he goes, you saw the way I live my life. And that's what he says. Talk about the stewardship here. He says, I am not innocent of the blood of any of you. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. He also says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you what is profitable, which is the whole counsel of God's word. You see it? He's, he's quoting Ezekiel, the watchman, right? Who fails to blow the trumpet when the oncoming army comes. He will have the blood of the city on his hands. That's what he's referring to. So he's saying, are you, see, are you, hearing, the, are you hearing how serious this is with Paul? You will have blood on your hands when you face God and you're, you have to give it account. What did you do with the word of God that was entrusted to you? And he says, so, my child, I charge you, preach it. And I, man, when I go to the Middle East, I go to Turkey, and Iranians that feel called to ministry come there, they can go for a three month visa. And we train them and they go back to plant Underground Churches. Some of them come to Turkey and in the back of their mind they're thinking, maybe this is my, my 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 first step to getting to the West and getting to America. And you can't blame them. I mean they're under oppression, they're persecution. They're thinking, man, if I can get to the West. And let me tell you when I see this happening, this what Paul is talking about, and some of them is when they actually get their passage to the Europe or to America. They get their visa and they look at me and they say, Brother Afshin, I can't go. I have to go back to Iran. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, and they go, I can't know what I know and not go back to Iran. They feel the weight of the stewardship that's been given to them. So I say to you, preaching is a stewardship that's been given to us. The church is to preach God's word Preaching is also, I believe, God's standard method, not his only method, but his standard method to herald the message. In the Old Testament, 2 Peter 1 again says men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How about the whole vision of Ezekiel? I don't have time to go turn there, but you ought to go read it again. When literally he goes into a valley of dry bones and he hears God's words say, prophesy to the bones, preach and watch how I move. And you know the bones come together and then he says preach to the breath to come to give it life. I mean literally, he's, Ezekiel 37 is rehearsing to us that God's word brings life and he does it through the avenue of preaching. He says you prophesy, you preach and watch me move. Men were carried along by God as they spoke. In the New Testament, very clear so many places, Romans chapter 10 How will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So God's word again is saying, this is the way I've set it up. That my word would be preached, would be heralded. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says we are ambassadors. God is pleading through us. And you say, okay, well, that's out in the world. What about in the worship setting? Well, if you look at throughout Scripture in the synagogue, remember Luke chapter 4, what happens? Jesus comes in. This was the custom. They read from the law. And Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and then he rolls up the scroll. And what does he do? He starts to preach. He says, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Paul does the same thing in Acts 13, in Antioch, in Pisidia. He goes in and the law and the prophets are read and then the rulers of the synagogues say, brothers, do you have a word of encouragement for us? Did he ever have a word of encouragement for them? They read the law and the prophets and guess what? Paul then preached. He preached the word. He exposited the text and he told them how it points to Jesus. All right? So this is... So what is preaching? So I say to you, it is, it is a stewardship. It is God's primary means of heralding his message. And, and you see it, it happens in the gathering. All right? So what, what, what is preaching? Well, the word there is herald the, God, the word. Herald it. It's like the king's herald that would go to the towns in the kingdom and herald the king's news to the people. You know? This is the word of the king for you. It would be good news, okay? All right? That's what what preaching is. But then you see here this element of also expositing, of of explaining. Let me say it that way. He says, preach the word. He goes on to say, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And, of course, I love John Piper, his new uh, book called Expository Exaltation. That's what he calls preaching. He says, it is speaking is preaching to the heart and the mind. It is giving the, 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 the content of the gospel of the word of God. It's giving doctrine to the mind, but also it's to herald, it's to exhort, it's to lift up the gospel, not just the content of the gospel, but the glory of it. It's to show it as the treasure that it is so that hearts would long for it. That's what preaching is. It's not just transferring information. It's pre- Preaching is, I am, my desire is through the Holy Spirit that you would be moved to see the glory of God and want it in your life. Desire it. That's what preaching is. And I love this. I, I believe preaching ought to be expository. He says, preach the word. That's what you're to preach. Friends, the reason preaching is so important isn't because of the human's ability to speak the reason preaching is so important is because of what he said in the end of chapter three the word of God is God's breathed out scripture is God's breathed out word that's what gives preaching its primacy let me say that again make sure you hear that the reason preaching is so important isn't because of the man preaching isn't because we're trying to fill time (laughs) it's because the word of God is so important all right and so, expository preaching, and you know this, is essentially a very simple definition. The main point of, this, of the text that you are preaching is the main point of the sermon. You are expositing, you are, you are bringing out the meaning, exegeting, bringing out the meaning of the text and applying it to the hearts and minds of your listeners. That's what it is. And friends... As I said in Acts 20, it's the whole counsel of God's word. That's why he says all scripture is breathed out by God. Not just parts of it and the parts that maybe would be difficult for some people to understand. You throw it aside. Listen to me. In Acts 20, look, look here, don't miss this. In Acts 20, I'm so passionate about this. When he says, I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God's word. You ought to think, well, why would anyone shrink back? Well, guess what? He tells you and he says, after me, there will be f- fierce wolves that will rise up, some among you. And their aim is just to draw the disciples after them. So hear me say this. The reason people shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God's word is because their aim is ultimately to get a crowd. And if you just want followers, I mean just butts and seats, let me say that. If you just want more people then you're going to avoid some sections of scripture but if your aim is to say man I'm going to look at God and he's going to I'm going to have to give an account so I, don't, I, I you know in some ways we should maybe not hope for a whole lot of people that we're going to have to give an account for if you really think about facing God one day it might be like god just give me 20 or maybe even 1 I'm gonna be held accountable. And so John chapter six, Jesus preaches hard truth. That some of the disciples leave. He turns to his 12 and he goes, are you gonna to go too? And they said, where, where, where are we gonna to turn to? You have the words of eternal life. So I look at Jesus' ministry and I see he wasn't so interested in the quantity of his followers as much as he was the quality of them. And I say faithful expositors are gonna be more interested in the quality of the sheep than just the quantity. Those who will shrink back are those who are more focused on the quantity. And at the end of the day, it has primacy, I say to you, because look, it's God's word and it's God's Holy Spirit moving through the one. It has nothing to do with the one preaching. 1 Corinthians 2, of course, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, so your hope would be in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. My goal at Providence is to preach this Bible. Even when we preach topically, we're in a topical series right now called the Christ-centered home. Even when I preach topically, all right, I go to, for instance, on marriage to Ephesians 5, and I exposit that text, all right, so even if you preach topically, you could still do expositional preaching. And so I lift up the word of God. That's what I'm going to declare, not just my opinion, all right? I want to create Bereans in my church who don't take what I say, Zalaf Sheen said it, they hear what I say and they take it to the word of God to make sure it lines up. And by the way, it's happened to me before. I've had someone come up to me after the first service and say, hey, you said this, did you, I think you missed that. And I looked at it and I go, oh my goodness, I think I said that wrong. And I was like, uh, it's not that I looked at the word and was like, oh, I didn't see that. It's, it was more like I said it wrong. And so I went in the, chapter, in, in the 11 a.m. service and I like corrected it, you know. Uh, I said, hey, I said the wrong thing here. Uh, but of course, the 9 o'clock was already gone, so it didn't matter. But anyways, <laughs> I still felt like I had to correct it. But that's my goal. My goal is to make my people, uh, by God's grace, dependent not on me but on God's word. That's what the role is. And so in 1 Thessalonians 1, listen to me, I, I'm not just saying, at the end of the day, I'm dependent on God's spirit. I'm not, I'm not saying this word is, is somewhat magical in and of itself. It's this word through the Holy Spirit implanting it in someone's heart. That's where the power is. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, I know, brothers, you are loved by God, that you've been chosen by him because you receive the word in power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You receive the gospel, excuse me, he says, not merely in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So some people hear, hear the word, it goes in one ear and out the other. It's like the sower and the seeds that Jesus talks about. Some spring up but as soon as the wind and the sun beat against it, it withered away and died because it had no root within itself. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, he's saying, I know that's not you, why? Because you received it in the power of the Holy Spirit and it moves you to full conviction." And he says what full conviction looks like. You became example, you became followers of the of the Lord, you, you, you received the word in affliction, you became example to, to the believers, and from you the word of the Lord sounded forth. And that is that is what our preaching ought to be about. That we are preaching uh, again to cause them to follow Christ, to see disciples made. That's why he says, for, equipped for every good work. The word preached ought to, if someone comes up to me after a sermon and says that was a good sermon, I often want to ask them why. What makes it a good sermon, I believe, isn't if you, oh, you said something I never heard, ooh, that was cool. That's not a good sermon. Here's what makes it a good sermon. God's spirit wrecked you, moved you, and you went and you parented differently or you loved your wife for the first time in a long time like Christ loved the church. That's what makes a good sermon. It's to equip you again for every good work. A couple more things and then I'm going to draw it to a close, okay? You ought to be ready, he says, in season and out of season. And I believe the preacher of God's word being ready means that his heart is prepared. In other words, the word of God is so prominent in his own life. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy 4 says, watch over yourself and the doctrine. For by it you you will save not only yourself but your hearers. It's, it it ought to be, you ought to be ready in season, and out of season, meaning that, man, the word of God is constantly, you're submitting your life to it. You are hearing it and putting it into practice. Hebrews 5, by the way, you talk about for every good work. Hebrews 5 says that those people who move from milk to solid meat are those who are not dull of hearing. Why? Because they hear the word of God and put it into practice in their life. So that's what makes a good preacher, the one who is ready. The word of God is in his life. We're planting Boswell, we planted Matt Boswell uh, out of our church, and his church is we planted a mega church, really. He he, he's done such an amazing job in Salina teaching and leading people. So he he started the Trails Church. And so, so you might say, Well, man, he's a worship pastor. Is he a good preacher? So I'll answer that question. First of all, yes, he is. If you didn't know that, Matt Boswell is a phenomenal pastor, leader, preacher, who also happens to be good at music and has a passion for worship. But he's a good preacher. But what I want to say is that's not even the question you ought to ask of me or of Matt. I mean, preaching is important, but is he committed to the word of God in his own life? Does he submit himself to it? and is he preaching the word of God? Again, it's the power isn't in the wisdom of man, but in this word, and so you're to preach it, and he says you preach it with patience. One of the great things for me coming off the road, and and I kind of feel it right here, is when I'm on the road, I, I feel like I have to have this amazing talk, right? But when I'm in my church pastoring, I know this idea of preaching with patience. I don't have to say it all in one sermon, I don't have to move people to tears every Sunday. It's the cumulative effect of preaching the word of God over many months and many years in the life of someone who's in your church. He's saying, that's what I'm calling you to That's the task. And so I say a couple of things. First of all, friend, as a worship pastor, which again, I'm a worship pastor too, but you know what I mean, leading music, Whatever you do in the service, you ought to see the preaching of God's word as being central to your gathering. Because why? This is what Paul is telling Timothy. It is where the power is. It's God's breathed out word and therefore you preach it. So what you ought to do, I, I would say, friend, as a worship leader, is you, your role ought to be to come around the, the preached word with your gifts. All right? By the way, even, it's funny, even preaching and leading music, it's not about our gifts. We think it's, I want to exercise my gift. No, he says, you preach so that they would be equipped for every good work. It's not about your gifts, it's about seeing their gifts be employed. That's why you lead music, that's why you preach. But, okay, I chased a rabbit there. My point is this, you ought to see your role as saying, I'm going to come around and and support the preached word of God. That's what I want to be about. And if we struggle with that, by the way, because maybe we're not doing the preaching, we forgot that, again, it's not about the preacher. It's about the word of God. It doesn't mean the preacher is more important than the worship leader. It means God's word is central. That's what it means. You see it? And then I would say this. The patience tells me that, man, we we ought not go after the whole be sober-minded. We ought not get swept away by what's happening around us. And so I want to close very carefully by just speaking into one thing, if I may. Um, and, and I want to do this with tact, but like I, I'm, I'm concerned about in many places because of what's happening in our culture, seeing the word of God be watered down or brought down. And what I hear here is no, 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 It must be, have a place of primacy in your life and in your ministry, so some of you know, and, and again, I don't know everything that's going on in his heart and mind, so my, my, my aim isn't to slam, but what Andy Stanley has been saying recently about God's word, and again, maybe there's something I'm not hearing in what he means, but apparently what he said recently, if you don't know, is he says that we, we need to, in this post-Christian world that we live, we need to stop saying uh, the Bible says so. Because that's not going to resonate with a post-Christian world. Instead, we ought to say, well, uh, Jesus rose again and to prove that he died for your sins. And here's, here's what you need. Not the Bible says so, but there was a man named uh, Luke who was a physician. And he went and studied it and heard eye count, eyewitness accounts to it. And he tells you so. Not the Bible tells you so. So, because again, it's not, that's not relevant to, they don't see it as a basis of authority. He says appealing to post-Christian people on basis of authority of scripture has essentially the same effect as a Muslim imam appealing to you on the authority of Quran. I'm gonna come back to that. He's, he says Christianity is built on events, really the event, resurrection, not the record of the events. The foundation of our faith is not an inspired book, but events that inspired the book. And then he says, if the entire Bible isn't true, it doesn't mean the resurrection isn't true. Holding to our faith in the risen Christ, we should not believe everything rises and falls on whether all the Bible is true. Thinking that way is unfortunate and and absolutely unnecessary. If we stake our faith on the whole Bible being true, then Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards religion when we hear that perhaps the walls of Jericho, let's say, didn't actually come tumbling down. And so here's my concern Uh, I appreciate that he is thinking about where the world around us is coming from and trying to uh, contextualize and meet them. But what I, let me just say this, any, look at me now, any church, movement, institution that calls itself Christian, whatever you want to say, that casts doubt on the word of God, that brings it down, makes it inferior, is essentially committing suicide. It's the beginning of it, and let me tell you why, because a a couple of things I want to say, again, Andy had me come preach for him in 2006, and I got to meet him, I I think he loves Jesus, so I'm I'm not coming against him, and I don't understand everything maybe that he's saying here, but I would say a couple of things, and this is why this is so passionate for me, is I believe the power is in this word, okay? So listen to me. He says, it's like a Muslim imam. It would be the same thing as a Muslim imam appealing to you on the basis of the Quran. Can I say something? I was a Muslim. And I read the New Testament not because I thought it was authoritative. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I thought it wasn't authoritative. I read it out of curiosity to see what Christians believe. And as I read it, The living and active word slammed into my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, quickened my eyes to see my need for salvation in Christ alone, and I became a Christian. God doesn't need non-Christians to believe that his word is authoritative for his word to actually move and, and, and have power. He's not dependent on that. And so, I I don't like going to a methodology that that takes away from the power, again, that is in this word. So I say, if I have a non-Christian, I'm not going to say, well, hey, I'm not going to therefore preach the Bible anymore because you don't really actually believe this is true. No, I'm going to preach the Bible because I believe it's living and active, and it's going to impact that person. And then I would say, secondly, it's a slippery road when you start to say, it's not really important if the whole Bible is true. Because I want you to hear me say, Paul says, all scripture is profitable. And I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God's word. And so I'm telling you, we, I'm calling you, whatever your role is in that service, to make sure you are putting a spotlight on the word of God. And you're lifting up the word of God, not to worship the word, but what the word is pointing to, Jesus and his gospel. That's where the power is. I determine to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified so that your hope would not rest on the wisdom of men but in the power of God. So let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that your word throughout all history has created, has given life, has restored, has brought life out of dry bones over and over and over again. And may we be a people serving your church. It's not our church, your church, which you purchased with your own blood. May we be a people who are more than ever committed to your word, believing that your word goes forth and accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent and it will not return void. And if we cast out your word or bring it down, we're fools. We labor in vain if we try to build the house, Lord, in our wisdom, in our methodology, in our eloquence. And God, may we be a people who herald the word and we feel that holy stewardship that Paul felt, that we are going to give account to you with what we did with your message that you've given us. Lord, we need you, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for having me.